Mike here. Really quick bonus episode where I had a chance to sit down with the filmmaking family, the Adams family, uh, Nick and Toby Adams, a husband and wife writing and directing team, along with their daughter, Zelda Adams, who also co-writes and co-directs the features with them, and their daughter, Lulu, who also appears in Hellbender and is now working with them on their films together they've already made seven movies their latest hellbender is now streaming on shutter it's a fantastic movie a little indie film about witchcraft and a very intimate mother-daughter relationship i highly recommend you check it out Uh, i first caught them at telluride i think in 2019 when they brought the deeper you dig with them which is also streaming on shutter highly recommend it so this is a chat that we were able to have last week ahead of the release on shutter all right so we are here with the filmmaking crew behind hellbender which is now out on shutter streaming for your enjoyment uh why don't we go around and make our introductions Hello, I am Zelda. I'm Toby. I'm John. And I'm Lulu. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to talk. I know I wanted to sit down with you folks at Telluride Horror, but it gets like so chaotic there. Um, And then also like in the downtime, I think everybody just wants to kind of enjoy the scenery and go around and not not get stuck somewhere. So... um, (laughs) My first question, I guess, is like, it's an obvious one, but it's like, when did the idea to start making films together as a family come up? In about 2010, we'd been living in Los Angeles. And I, I my acting career was kind of taking a, a deep dive. And, and John was on this kind of reality show, rock and roll reality show, and he was enjoying being on a set. And the kids loved movies. So we just thought, you know what? Let's just make our own damn movies. And that's what we did. We got an old RV. We traveled around America for a year. And we made our first film, um, Rumble Strips. And it just stuck. Mm-hmm. And a great thing happened. Um, we were kind of accepted by like some cool festivals. And it kind of like, it's a very primitive movie. But it was nice that people said, Hey, uh, make another one. Excellent. So the response was great right away. And it was just said, well, let's keep doing more of them. Yeah, it was pleasurable. It was pleasurable to make it. And like, it was just nice that, that there was people out there that said, Hey, this is cool. It's, it is what it is. It's not a Hollywood picture, but it is what it is. And keep going. And we realized right away how much life and art, can beautifully intertwine and and that's now eight we're making our eighth feature now 
and for over the past 12 years, that's just what we've done. They, they, it's, they are good bedmates, life and mm -hmm. filmmaking as a family. You know, I know it can be difficult with, with kids, especially like they come to an age where we tend to like pull away from our parents a bit. Like we want to do more things independently. We want to do more things on our own. How difficult was it initially to get the buy-in for uh, Zelda and Lulu? Was it like something they bought into right away or was it very difficult to, to get them to kind of want to join in and do this thing? Right away, pretty much. <laughs> For we always, you know, we're so close with our parents, and I was going into I think seventh grade, and Zelda, you're going into second grade, mm. first grade, first. yeah. And I think at that point, we still, you know, we're very much at that age where we still were so much in our parents' lives, and we ended up kind of skipping out on the whole middle school classic experience by making those movies. And for us, it was great because you know we were these kids who were like, we get to be in movies and we'd only done bits of theater as kids and such. So then getting to be some of the stars of movies and behind the camera, learn how to run the mic. We were like, this is freaking great. I mean, come on. Like, I think it felt awesome. And we got to go across crunch mm -hmm. across the country. At least for me, I think it was just excitement. No, yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, John and Toby raised us on movies. So the idea of getting to be in a movie and make a movie as a, as a six-year-old, you're like, hell yeah, I want to be famous. I want to be a huge filmmaker, actress, all this stuff. So of course we were on board. <laughs> mm -hmm. When, um, you know, every parent like has different ideas about when to kind of expose their kids to horror movies. Like I know when my daughter was eight, she snuck down to watch the thing with me. And I'm like, well, I'm not getting up from this chair. So if you have nightmares, you're on your own. But otherwise, you can stay. Um, when did you, John and uh, um, Toby, when were you like, all right, kids, gather around. It's time to get terrified. At this point, when were you exposing him to horror movies? Uh, I know that with, I can say with Zelda, it was Carrie around the same age. <clears throat> right? Does that sound right, Z? Around yeah, it was. Age? And with Lulu, well, Chucky. I wanted to see Chucky for a while. And then I started watching The Sopranos while you guys were awake. And I'd pretend to nap. And eventually you guys knew I wasn't napping and just let me keep watching. <laughs> yeah, I think we kind of had the rule of we're going to watch what we're going to watch. If you decide to sit down on the couch next to us, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> when I was... 12 my soccer coach took me to see a movie called phantasm and mm -hmm. it scared the living hell out of me <laughs> and so obviously i always wanted to do the same to my kids <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a scenario where a coach is like hey kids it was like was it a team bonding experience was it like no, gathering it was for this great guy his name was chuck caster and it was just him just being like i'm sure he's like i'm gonna scare the living hell out of these Dumb kids, <laughs> and he brought us to see it, and I was I was terrified. I didn't sleep for a year. Excellent. That is a yeah. fucked up movie to bring a, a youth soccer team to. That's oh my god, it was it was. That's terrifying. excellent. Um, was there anything that you like as kids, like Zelda and Lulu, that you found like too scary? Was there anything where you're like, yeah, we're not watching this. This is too mm. much for us. That's a. That's a really good question. It's actually really funny, kind of like Amber's character pushing eating a worm onto me. 
Lulu would when I was younger she would push uh movies onto me and uh she'd be like watching a scary movie which is a comedy mm-hmm. but like I was still terrified and terrified of it at such a young age and she was like watch it anyway it's not scary and she made me watch it and I had nightmares for a while <laughs> <laughs> but recently you turned off a didn't you isn't there a movie that recently you were like I'm not going to do this terrifier what? Was it terrible? Oh, yeah. You know, last year, um, I was like, all right, I, I'm going to watch Terrifier because the poster looks incredibly awesome. And then I started watching it and it was just like, it was just a lot of like torture and blood yeah. and pretty sexual too. And I was like, oh God, I don't know if I really yeah. want to watch that. It's definitely one that's not for everybody. Yeah. Uh, not for many people. It's, uh, I'd sometimes confuse that and terrified the, uh, I think the Argentinian movie that's also really scary, but that's much more supernaturally uh, yeah. based. Yeah. Art the Clown is definitely, it's an acquired taste, I think, for yeah. a lot of folks. When he like hung that girl upside down, I was like, all right, pause. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to watch anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, both the girls were really into Coraline. Like, and I think that was a movie that, that was kind of frightening. You know, yeah, and, and, it still you know, scares me. Loved and were terrified of in equal measure. You know. Also, I think that that's what's fun about horror is you have Coraline, which can be terrifying in so many ways, and you have Art the Clown, and that's what's fun about the horror genre is there are a lot of little places to go in horror. So if you want like just insane violence, you go when you watch Terrifier. If you want weird, <laughs> cartoony, emotional kind of shit, you watch you know Coraline it's it's mm-hmm. that's what's so great about horror is it's filled yeah. with uh different sides of the room yeah it's a massive umbrella mm-hmm. yes right that's how I would look at it. and unfortunately too many people look at it like a horror movie is everything I like and everything I don't like is not a horror movie like it's, right no right so, and I guess that leads to the question what do y'all find scary like when you're do you try to scare yourselves when you're writing your movies and what do you each find, you know, scary on your own? Oh, I am, I'm addicted to um, scary podcasts and I love to walk. I I mean, typically I would walk my dog and we live in the woods. It's pretty, you know, we we live in real isolation. It'd be pretty creepy. And I love to listen to uh, podcasts of people's experiences with I guess it's usually like ghosts or, or demons and because I myself feel like oh they don't really exist but then I hear these stories and these people don't sound like they're making that shit up mm-hmm. and and I'm like I'm kind of terrified so I'm terrified of of the un of the unknown I'm terrified of things like people who seem very normal but then something really strange and horrifying happens to them I get in the mood all the time listening to these podcasts <clears throat> Mm-hmm. I think there's two things that terrify me, um, one more than the other. It, the first is sharks. I'm fucking terrified of sharks. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to get killed by a shark for some reason. But the <laughs> other one is when we're camping, I do think about grizzly bear. But if I had to get my choice of about which one's going to tear me to pieces, I would take the grizzly bear because I kind of want to die on my feet and not in my swimming shorts out in the ocean. Uh, I think... For me, it's a lot of movement makes me uncomfortable. Like if things move in, unlike a human, 
they creep me out. Like certain scenes and things that aren't even horrors, like the um, Around the World, the Beatles movie, there mm -hmm. is a tent scene with tons of characters inside tents and their bodies just move in such uncomfortable ways that are just not human that I think if I ever saw something like that, I would not know what to do. Like I wouldn't know about how it functions, you know, even just seeing a new animal, I'd be like, what the fuck is that thing gonna do? Like, what if it can shoot fire out of its ass? <laughs> is that a, a real thing in upstate New York where there are animals that are shooting fire out of their... It's called Dad. <laughs> and it's a blue angel. Sorry. <laughs> That's going to be beeped out, right? <laughs> no, oh no, we. I do very minimal editing on this show. I'm very, lazy. very lazy. So. You know, you know. I think since I've always grown up in upstate New York, in the middle of the woods, up on a mountain, kind of like Izzy, I, it's always been very, you know, isolated. And you know, when you're in the middle of the woods, isolation can be a little bit creepy. Like. Oh God, are there people, you know, watching me in the woods from far away? Is there when I'm in my room at night, sometimes I like look in the shadows and I'm like, am I seeing a figure? And like that's something that really creeps me out, is like the unknown. Mm -hmm. That's something I loved about hereditary when, you know, there's that figure in the darkness and you're like, oh God, am I seeing that right now? Or is it just like a slide of the eye? What is that? It's terrifying. Yep. Yeah, and it's fun watching with an audience watching someone see that figure and then yell fuck no when they see it, which is always yeah. a good time. <laughs> exactly. Toby, you had mentioned, I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit because you had mentioned like living in the woods and being in isolation. One of the things about both like digging up the dirt as well as Hellbender is you seem to take like really make really good use of like the natural environment. Can you talk a little bit about how like filming these areas and like your home, like in and around your home, like how you take advantage of the, that location? Cause it's really beautiful and you get some shots that I don't think a low budget indie horror movie is typically going to get. Yeah. I, I, th I thank you. And we, nature really does a lot of the heavy lifting for us cinematically mm -hmm. and as far as hellbender thematically as as well um yeah we you know we hear we see the the brutality and the gorgeousness of nature 24 7. you know when we're sleeping we hear coyotes tearing a rabbit apart um the river makes its own course that that it wants and sometimes it tears up roads there's roadkill everywhere um, and we also don't have fancy equipment. We travel very lightly with one camera and a couple small mics. And so uh, often nature shows us exactly what we should be shooting. How much is like just going for hikes and wandering in your natural environment influenced like what you're going to write or film about? Like, do you ever stumble upon something new and then create a scene in your brain and then go home and put it to paper? Yeah. Definitely. You know, nature throws us a lot of bones, especially that one uh, skeletal body uh, of a deer in Hellbender. Mm -hmm. um, we we were, I think, going to maybe shoot another scene or scout out a location, and we come across this huge sack of bones, and we're like, are you kidding? We have to obviously use this skeleton and create a scene around it. 
So it's amazing that like nature will just bring you a gift like that and affect our movie so much. That's one of like my favorite scenes in the movie now. Excellent. And what would you say like, cause it's typically all three of you or all four of you now, like writing, directing and, and acting in these, in these films, what would you say like each of you bring to the table? Like what would you say your natural strengths are? Uh, I love writing. I absolutely mm-hmm. love writing for me. It's, I, I feel like a spider who gets to spin a web and make sure things connect and that you can see through it just enough, but then certain themes or ideas will stick. So that's much my favorite part of the process. Mm-hmm. I think I just love cinematography and I love music. I love trying to tell a story visually. I like to set things up like a painting. I I like people. I hope that people enjoy our cinematography and think like, wow, that looks like a painting. And like musically, I think that you can tell a lot of story quickly. So I really enjoy that part of it too. You know, they're, they're both just such a joy. And then marrying them together in the editing process is really fun. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's kind of small, but I really like seeing how once we finally go to film a scene that we have a general idea for. I like to kind of see how each of us and our characters would actually speak. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. things of kind of rewriting that dialogue and kind of, I guess, method acting, really getting into those roles. And just having fun with it, like, what would that person say? And just thinking of the wackiest things that someone could say and not making, like, flat dialogue. Mm -hmm. It feels really personal, exciting. Like, you get to feel really involved. Yeah. I I feel like I'm kind of the same as John. I love the cinematography aspect of filmmaking. Whenever I go watch a movie, it's always the visuals that Mm -hmm. stay in my mind when I leave the theater. So if I can leave, like, a lasting impact on viewers as well, that would be amazing. Okay. And how would you determine who films what? Like, is it a collaborative process where you're all kind of like setting up shots together or do you kind of take turns and then kind of go with whoever had like the best take that time around? Like, how do you determine how you're going to shoot things? Yeah, it's extremely collaborative. So uh, we each kind of go into a scene with our own visual idea of what we want to happen, but Mm -hmm. whoever's acting in front of the camera is not normally the one to set up the shot. So whoever is behind it is going to be setting up the shot. And, but we will, if we're having like different visual perspectives on how we want the scene to go, we'll shoot it three or four different ways and then go home, put it on the computer and see, oh, you know what? I think this angle really worked best for Mm -hmm. this scene. You know, the editing process never lies. Okay. Yeah, it's really great to have three eyes, four eyes on, on set because inevitably you miss things and everybody has their own viewpoints of how something should be done. And to get that different coverage is so helpful. Like it's, it's great to have four viewpoints on set. John, you had mentioned music. And I know what a big part of Hellbender is the three or the three or four of you also do the score for this with your band's music. Can you talk about when you started the play together and kind of how that came about? So I've played, I've had bands with both of my kids. Um, Lulu mm-hmm. and I had a band called the Hot Roses from the time mm-hmm. she was maybe four or five. I don't know. And then Zelda and I had a band called Kid California. And um, I love doing music with the kids. Uh, They bring a viewpoint that no adult could bring. So it's always been super fun to play with them. And um, 
so all those bands kind of have finally morphed into Hellbender. Mm -hmm. And um, now with all the different, you know, everybody's different opinion on music and we, we show each other music where all that stuff is pouring down the hourglass. And what's coming out is I think a real original and singular band sound. So I think right now our band Hellbender has really got something cool and it's a nice mixture of the three of them have very singular voices. And so they, and they work very well together. And then uh, they're letting me bring in some of my punk fuzzy kind mm-hmm. of crazy stuff. And that angelic kind of vocal quality set over top of this kind of punk energy is this wonderful match that I never would expected, never would have expected. And it's really fun to see that coming to fruition. And do they ever have to rein you in? Like, are you ever like, let's go, you know, Greg Jinn guitar sound from, you know, Rise Above. And they're like, no, dad, we're not. It's not 1981 anymore, dad. We're not doing that. Actually, they don't mind Greg Ginn. Uh, we, we're Black Flags. Uh, uh, everybody is a, a big fan of Black mm-hmm. Flag. But yes, I think it's more when it sounds like Poison. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, rough up that guitar and get it a little out of rhythm not so shiny you know mm-hmm. and that's no knock against the pros of poison but it's like yes there are plenty of times where the girls say i don't know it's not really uh flying it's too glam okay yeah, right. <laughs> did you find when you were um, writing the music for this were you you know, writing music and then like going through your catalog of things you already had and going at works with this scene or were you watching everything back and going like, oh, this kind of scene inspires me to write something new for? Like, what was that like? That's so great of a question. It's a combination of both. We, before we even begin shooting any movie, we work on the music for a while because we do spend a bunch of time, a couple months talking about what we want to do and talking about our characters and talking about what, you know, what kind of violence we want to have, what Mm -hmm. kind of drama we want to have. So there's a lot of talking going on. And while that talking's going on, we spend the, the evenings making songs. And in those songs, the lyrics begin to tell us what that movie's going to be about. So before we even shoot any film, we probably have 15 songs wow, done. Okay. And then and then as you shoot and you put the songs that you've written over the footage, you realize, "Oh, this isn't going like this this isn't going to work. We should do a song more like this or we change the songs." So it's definitely a mixture of try to do a whole bunch of music that's going to create the tone for the movie because it's fun to edit to music. Mm-hmm. And then and then you see whether you were good with your tone. And if you weren't, you change it as you as you continue editing. So it's a great Excellent. mix. Excellent. Yeah. And this this soundtrack will be available soon, correct? Like, where can we find your music if we wanted to hear it? Yeah, we're working with a company called Ship to Shore. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be releasing the soundtrack for Hellbender on vinyl in a couple of months, which is extremely exciting. Um, and there's a lot of extra songs on it that didn't get to make it into the mm-hmm. movie because, you know, you can't have like 23 songs in, right. in the movie, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but otherwise, a lot of our release songs, including some that are in the movie, are on Spotify and Apple Music. And you can watch some music videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. 
our band is just called Hellbender, but all of the E's are sixes. So we have Excellent. that six, six, six action. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Because I was looking for, you. I think you mentioned at Telluride that like the stuff was out. And the only Hellbender I could find was like a 90s emo band that I used to listen to. So oh, wow. I was glad to find them again. Oh, um wow. Because they have a couple really good tracks, but I couldn't find yours. So it's with 666 where the E-E-E would be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, John, you mentioned punk, and I, I kind of want to shift the focus a little bit towards like making Hellbender and how the circumstances it was kind of made under. I found that like your movie, and then there was another one at Telluride, Alone With Her, um, made by filmmakers that, you know, literally come from the punk scene in Boston. Um I kind of found that like independent filmmakers were uniquely suited to COVID filmmaking because you spend so much time, not just playing music in a band, but being your merch person, driving your van, booking your shows, doing your artwork. Can you talk about some of the challenges that filming this during like lockdown or isolation caused or how it maybe even like opened up the movie to new things? So, you know, COVID is and was a terrible thing for the world, but for us as filmmakers and musicians, it was a perfect storm because number one, we were all home together so we could make music together. And then Zelda wasn't in school. So we decided, well, if we're not going to, if we're not going to be locked down by school, let's buy a trailer and live in a trailer Mm -hmm. and drive around the country. And as we drove Mm -hmm. around the country, we discovered that there was nobody in the state parks. There was nobody in the campgrounds. There was nobody in the national parks. We had everything to ourselves and we were making a movie. So as horrible as COVID was for the whole world, for our little filmmaking combat unit, it was kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. How many locations did you end up shooting in? endless amounts of locations because mm-hmm. we, we did a big circle around the country, but we mostly shot in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we got a lot of stuff done out there. We shot in the Rocky mountains. We shot in the deserts of Texas. We shot in the swamps of Louisiana. Like we were like, Hey, there's nobody out in all these places. We can mm-hmm. you know, get out there, not be embarrassed. No one's asking us for a permit and nobody's in the background. It was pretty exceptional. And like Toby said in the beginning of the interview, we let nature inform us about when and where to shoot. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm rewatching this again, I'm going to be trying to pick out where that things may have been shot. Excellent. Um, did you find with like the isolation, was there like a set schedule you tried to keep or was it, Hey, let's go out there, pick up the camera and see what we can get today. We usually just try to keep on rolling. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always have our camera with us. Uh, yeah, we don't. Our schedule is really just um, yes. That's our schedule. <laughs> you know, one of the nice things is you know we don't have a huge budget, so we just have a you know a Canon five D. It's mm-hmm. the size of a football, so you can bring that thing with you anywhere you go. You just strap it on your shoulder, and boom, you can go bike to town, and maybe you'll get some great footage. <laughs> Excellent, very cool. Um, with regards to Hellbender, like the opening shot of the movie suggests like this very kind of large community or world. And then it very quickly funnels into uh, like a very personal story. And was that always the attention or did COVID kind of change what you had to do in order to make this movie happen? 
That's a really fantastic observation. Um, it, it did bring us weight to a smaller scale. Um, it's funny because that scene that you're talking about in the beginning with all the women and mm-hmm. the hanging, that was shot maybe three days before the COVID quarantine and shutdown happened. Um, but w- when we started hearing more about COVID, we realized, wow, we need to bring this movie to a way smaller mm-hmm. scale because we were originally thinking about having the story be way bigger. Izzy went to high school and had a best friend, maybe a romantic interest and way more cast and crew. And then COVID happened. We were like, wow, no, Mm -hmm. we obviously have to make this a way more personal, intimate, isolated story, not necessarily a COVID movie, but just a really isolated um, story. How long did it take for you to make that change? Like how long from when you had planned to shoot versus when you were actually able to develop and shoot the new story did that take not long at all Mm. we i mean because we rarely work with a set script um once we started rolling with with this with this new attend with this new intimacy this story just really began to um unfurl beautifully Mm -hmm. um with the intimacy of of all of us and uh yeah and often we 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 figure out what our movie is really about as we're going along we even even within that those changed plans um our plans changed we didn't know the end of the movie until it just kind of dropped until we were doing it and we said oh Mm -hmm. you know what that's that's the cherry at the end of the movie okay you know um i remember the conversation that we had that that the production changed toby had written a very wonderful script and it was going to be a bigger production there was going to be more people we were going to need some help and it was going to be a little more loot and we didn't have the loot we were going to try to find it Okay. And as soon as COVID hit, I remember we were in our dining room, at, which is our living room and our kitchen. And we said, uh, I was like, Toby, this, you know, the, the script's not going to happen, right? And she's like, yep, I got it. And we were like, you know what? This is going to be to our advantage. Let's just do what we do, not worry about it. And let's just make this film exactly what it was going to be, but on a smaller scale. And it's about a kid who's discovering a wild secret and that's what the bigger production was going to be about anyway so it didn't really matter we just stripped all the trappings from that and just and said like izzy's character for example in the bigger production had a boyfriend or a girlfriend i don't remember but she had a romantic relationship and we were like you know what just combine it with the mother make it not a romantic relationship but just take all those cool qualities that she was going to have with this friend and and Mm -hmm make it the mother and then make it with Amber. Cause we knew we could work with Lulu, even though we did have to social distance with her. Mm-hmm. We knew that, you know, Lulu's game and great to work with. So it was like, let's just boil all those characters, those extraneous characters and put them in Amber and put them in the mother. Excellent. Okay. And is there a chance like you would take that idea of like the wild script and readapt that down the road? Like, do you say, you know what we could, cause you're very flexible and can obviously work on the fly. Do you say like, well, we really love this idea. We just do something a little different with it, you know, for something in the future. I, 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 well, I, we, I think we all think um, Hellbender would be a cool comic strip, a comic book, but um or graphic novel, but I I often think about writing a young adult novel, um, sort of, you know, 
out of that original idea because it's fun and it's kind of very fantastical. And and I don't know how we ever imagined that we were going to shoot it, but we could certainly write it. <laughs> okay. And for those that are, are wondering, what exactly is a hellbender? Uh, a hellbender is one step above humans in the food chain. They're mm-hmm. human in form, uh, female identif- female in form as well, but they're self-reproducing, unapologetic, um, super powerful beings who feed upon the fear in others' blood. It was fun. We wanted to make a, a mythological figure that was above humans. And we thought that would be fun because, you know, this whole movie is about nature versus nurture and whether you, you should follow your true nature and who's allowed to judge uh, whether your nature is good or bad. And by putting a hellbender above humans, um, it's it's fun for the audience, which are all humans, to be able to ask themselves, like, who am I rooting for, the mother or mm-hmm. The, the daughter, because the daughter wants to be a true hellbender, which is not good for humanity. But the mother is trying to stop this young hellbender from being her true self. And so there's a poem in the middle of the movie that talks about a wolf and a sheep. And mm-hmm. it's like, and it's, it's, you know, it's just fun to, to ask ourselves that is who are we allowed to judge and why? Yeah. And I, watching the movie and you know watching this apparent you know i'm struck by like there are so many little lies that we tell our children and you know in hellbender the lie of like you have to stay away from everyone because you're sick versus what would happen if mom told the truth right away how much of like your own like parenting experiences go into you know putting something to page or on on screen when you're like working with your children or just working together as a family unit well, I've got two things to say. One, we often um, love to we often love to show universalities of parents, mm-hmm. adolescents, children, just or just humans, and and through horror to kind of squeeze them through this very strange supernatural lens. It's fun for us to find parallels. Like, how is a hellbender like a human? How can a human be like a hellbender? But in this movie in particular, I found out something really wild. I found out that uh, right before we started shooting the film that my my father that I was raised with was not my biological father. So 50 years, that's 50 years of, you know, like rethinking everything Mm -hmm. and wondering who my biological father was. I I was donor conceived and now I have this Mm -hmm. big family you know, that I've, that, that I've discovered. And so it's, it was really interesting. It's interesting to, um, you know, that played a lot into how we devised this story, but I also, I understand why my parents didn't tell me that, you know, they were pr- trying to protect my dad who was unable to, um, you know, who, who was sterile and, and, mm-hmm. and they were, uh, and I'm sure they were trying to protect me in many ways. And I understand that. And I like to think that with Hellbender, we can understand why the mother hides certain things from her daughter as well, but mm-hmm. she is starving her of her true nature. Yeah. 
And can you talk about the theme that runs through this movie of learning to let your children go? Because uh, that's something that struck me throughout. And I know like Zelda, I think you mentioned you're a senior in high school. So college is coming up possibly and like huge life changes. And could you talk about like the idea of of thinking about like watching your children make that next step to adulthood and having to like pull back the reins a little bit? Well, I think that we love watching our young girls turn into women because mm-hmm. it's it's beautiful, and that's what you want. You want your mm-hmm. your girls to turn into women, and um, but that doesn't mean that it's not painful, and mm-hmm. it should be painful because you love them so much, and you know they they grow up and leave. So we always all of our movies. If you watch all of our seven movies they all are about where we are at that point in life. Obviously we pour blood on this, the, the story or we do things. It's not exactly a documentary on our lives, but the reason we made Hellbender and that it was a joy to make was because it's exactly where we were in our life. Mm-hmm. And so Zelda was there at that point in her life. Toby and I are there. Lulu's been through it all. So she represented the person who's already broken out. So it's, it's, it makes the process much easier and it's fun for us to do this kind of like, not that we need it, but a catharsis, you know, but Mm -hmm. in film and there it is forever as our diary. Excellent. Thank you. And you know, this is the second movie you have that will be streaming on shutter, correct? Alongside um, uh, the deeper you dig. Could you talk about how the relationship with shutter developed? Sure. So um, we, when we finished Hellbender, we weren't sure what we had. And, and we, the first person we showed it to was Mitch Davis, who, who runs Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal, a festival we love and where we premiered the mm-hmm. debut dig. We thought Mitch will really give it to us straight. And he said, well, can we have it for world premiere? And we're like, great. So we thought, okay, maybe we have something kind of cool here. People would like, Mitch likes it. You know, he's like our, we love him. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then we also were familiar with the people and the films of Yellow Veil Pictures. Three mm-hmm. guys who run that are just wonderful. They have excellent taste. We love all the films that they're always, um, you know, bringing out to the world to find distribution. So we um, and we love their publicist, Kayla, to the moon and back. So mm-hmm. we approached all of them and they welcomed Hellbender. And then they introduced it to Shudder. And Shudder was the first you know, uh, they were the first people who right away said, Hey, we love this. We love you guys. Not only the film, but the filmmakers, can we celebrate you? And we said, hell to the, yeah. And that's how it happened. And we could not be more ecstatic. Yeah. They're very cool in, in talking to us, like who we are, which is just four small family members. And they're cool with that. And they celebrate that. And they've just been really wonderful to us. And that's all we kind of want. We'll wrap with this because I know podcasting is not a visual medium. But as I'm looking here on camera, I see Toby. You are in like your formal best, like a little tuxedo, uh, also covered in blood. And Lulu, it looks like you have like a nice kind of prom outfit or some sort of formal wear on right now. Like what, you know, is this just like it's Wednesday, we need to clean up the houseware? Or do you happen to be filming something right now? What do you have coming up? Right now, we're working on our next film, 
And uh, yeah, we're just suited up. Toby's covered in some mischievous blood marks. I'm dressed up all fancy, looking a little different. And uh, Lulu's an axe murderer, basically, and she's chopping <laughs> the hell out of her mom. So we're working out those an axe things. Who's also an axe murderer? Meeting of minds. We're shooting a movie <laughs> called When the Devil Roams, and it's set in the 30s, and it's kind of a cross between Bonnie and Clyde meets Frankenstein, and we're having a blast doing it. And we miss you, Zell. So we can't wait I to get you back guys. into our murderous ways. <laughs> and is it a, a for? Are all of you involved again? Or, or is it okay? Yeah. Yep. We're Excellent. rocking. We're still a four piece. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really excited for people to see this. Like I loved it out at Tell Your Ride when we got a chance to catch it. I can't wait for you guys to bring When the Devil Roams to Tell Your Ride when it's complete. Um, Boy, that was fun. You know, you guys know you have a standing invite basically to Aww. just show your stuff out there. Um, for our listeners, where could they find y'all on the socials if they want to keep up uh, or want to drop you guys a note about how much they're going to love Hellbender? Where can they find y'all? Our website's wonderwheelproductions.com. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at Adams underscore films. Uh, Instagram is adams.family.films. Is that right, Zelda? Yeah. Yeah. That's where and we post them. Yeah. Individually, we're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, and then music, Zelda. You're, you know, you, uh, yeah, music. We're on Hellbender Apple. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube, so you can listen there. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll let you get back to it, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks thank you so much. much for inviting us. This was fun. It's a good time.